I want to share something with you that I didn't think of to share in the first service. Uh, I, I have kind of a hard time waking up in the morning. <laughs> and uh, you laugh because I, I, I take it you can relate to that. Uh, that's kind of always been a bit of a problem for me, uh, especially when I was a teenager. And uh, my, my mom and my dad, they tried and they tried and they tried and they tried to get me up in the morning to go to school. And I just would not get up. And my parents had to resort to something a little drastic to actually get me up and get started with the day. Uh, my mom went so far as to take a cold cup of water and pour it on me. That was just about the only thing that would get me up. And for us, church, I share that story because I think we need some cold water poured on us. Today, I'm going to start this message a little heavy because we, we celebrate Life Sunday and for good reason, but, but we look around at the world before us and we, we know what's going on. We know the discussion about the issue of abortion. And we can, we can talk about uh, the role of choice and we can, we, can, we can fight until we're black and blue. But I'm here to tell you, church, as we think about Life Sunday, as we look to God's word, why, why do we make such a big deal about life? Uh, we can't be silent. One way or another, we need to, we need to support life. Hear what, hear what Psalm 139 says. Okay? So again, this is, this is the truth. This is Christian's perspective. Hear, hear what God's word says. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. The Christians, we value life because God values life. Uh, we, as a church, need to speak up. I, whether that's supporting crisis pregnancy centers or uh, simply engaging in conversation. I'll be honest with you, I've had very difficult conversations with my family, uh, so much so that there's even been strain in some of those relationships. But church, we can't be silent. Here's a quote that I think speaks very directly to the situation that's before us. It's, it's this. Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. God will not hold us guiltless. Do you know who said that? Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that. For those of you who don't know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, he was a pastor in uh, Germany during the time of Hitler. He saw the evil that was around him. To not speak should cut us to the core. Friends, we have to get involved. We have to speak up for life. That's why we set this Sunday aside to remember the sanctity of life. 
And it's not just the unborn, it's the whole span of life. Life matters. Life matters. And, and, and I bring this all up because it does connect to our passage today. We're going to talk about relationship uh, for us, instruction about relationships in the church. But uh, I recognize that you know this message is, is being recorded. I just want to say a couple more things very briefly on, on the matter at hand. Uh, for those who are maybe watching online or, I don't know, maybe you're watching this years in the past or months in the past, couple things. First, uh, if you are considering an abortion, I, I pray that you would reconsider. I would pray that you just reconsider that life that's within you. And also to those who have had an abortion, understand that God is gracious and forgiving. While absolutely it's a horrible thing, and, and I don't want anyone to make that mistake, there's also forgiveness for those who have. And I think as a church, we need to be better about grace and forgiveness and mercy in this discussion. Grace and truth. So today I proclaim to you the excellency of our Savior, a God who is just, who cares about life, and a God who is also merciful to those who've made the mistake of taking a life. So as we open to 1 Timothy 5, again, we're going to get into uh, relational instruction for the church, but I speak again of life because life matters, as does relationship. God has indeed made each and every one of you in this room for a purpose, and he's made us for relationship with him, and with one another. So, with all that being said, let's go before the Lord in prayer, and then we'll turn again to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, wake us up. Lord, this issue before us, God, should break our hearts. Forgive us for being complicit. Forgive us, Lord, for not speaking up. Lord, strengthen us to take the truth of your word to a world that is lost and confused and misses the mark in so many ways. Lord, we know salvation is found in your name alone. Jesus, now as we turn to your word, I pray that you would stir in our hearts. Give us a hunger for your word and a desire for truth as we think about you and as we think about one another. Lord, be with us now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we'll pick up 1 Timothy 5, just going to start with the first two verses, thinking about church relationships in general. Verses 1 and 2. It says this, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. You'll notice this speaks to relationships in general. We think about those who are older than us. We think about those who are younger than us. Men, women. Beginning with relationships with those who are older. The instruction here is to not sharply rebuke an older man. Uh, there used to be a saying pertaining to our, those who are older than us. It used to go, respect your elders, see you know it. I'm just, I, I remember that. I'm just on maybe the back end of remembering that, that, uh, that phrase. But, 
But sadly, we've come a long way from this, haven't we? We kind of have, yeah. I I think so, anyway. Uh, None of us will go through our lives without interacting with those who are older than we are, without interacting with those who have more life experience, more life wisdom. And so the statement to not sharply rebuke an older man, it comes from a place uh, that, that, that we need to have respect for our elders. Now, those who are older than us certainly at times need correction and need to, are, are not always in the right, but to sharply rebuke the older man, there's a danger there. Uh, now, it would, for example, it wouldn't sound right if I, as a relatively young man, got up here and sharply called an older person out. That, that wouldn't sound right, would it? So as I look around the room and think about my target. I don't know why I keep looking at you, Pastor Kevin. That wasn't, that wasn't planned. <laughs> so in the first service, I, uh, I, I chose Mike Annenson as that target, and he's here again for second service. So if I said, if I said to Mike, hey, Mike, you better shape up. Get it together. How dare you? That'd be a little off-putting, wouldn't it? And he says amen. And uh, by the way, I, uh, I, uh, I try, anytime I'm up here and I use someone by name, I, I try to, to address that or, or get on the same page beforehand before throwing someone's name out there. So, so I actually texted Mike. Uh, yeah, we were texting, and I, I asked him his permission to, to use his name. And he said, he said go for it. I stopped and thought, Ooh, you know what, I better, I better apologize to him for saying that he's old in the first place. <laughs> you know what he responded to me? He said, and I quote, what did you say? Speak up, son. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. So the call here today is to encourage one another, older men as fathers, older women as mothers. Uh, maybe you maybe you think of someone uh, specifically in your life, someone specifically in the church here, uh, someone in your family who who could use a little encouragement, who needs to hear Christ loves you, He died on the cross for you, He hasn't forgotten you. He's with you even now. You, you know, speaking of the value of life, we shouldn't lose perspective on the value of anyone's life. We set this Sunday aside for a reason. So who is it in your life? Maybe an older person who, who needs to know that God has valued their life. Maybe it's a grandparent who needs a visit. Uh, so one, let's, let's encourage one another in the truth of God's word. Treat one another with respect. But of course, this also is a two-way street, right? Older people, this applies to you as well to treat those who are younger uh, with respect and, and to treat them, as it says, as uh, brothers and sisters in all purity. You know, going back to grandparents, I, I uh, had done some or heard in the past of a study that was done as to what 
one of the most significant things in the life of, of a child is as it pertains to staying in the faith. And the thing that has, one of the things that has the most impact as to whether or not a child will stay in the faith as they grow is the influence of a godly grandparent. So grandparents, keep that in mind. Your, your grandchildren need to be pointed to Christ, and you have a very significant role to play in that. So as we think about those who are younger than us, treat them as brothers and sisters in purity. And, uh, you know, I've experienced that for many of you in my short time here at Emmaus. And to you, I want to say thank you for that. As I think about those who are younger than me, you know, just in engaging with some of the teens here at church, it's, it's incredible. It's awful what, what these kids are dealing with. You, I see some heads nodding, but they're going, they're dealing with things at school that I never, never in a million years would have imagined I had to deal with when I was in high school. And I'm sure many of you could say the same. You know, hostility of all sorts, bullying. Well, these things aren't necessarily new, but the kids are having Marxist philosophy pressed on them constantly. They're uh, unbiblical views of sexuality. And if they don't conform and agree with these things, they're, they're outcasts. It's hard enough to be a kid, but it's another thing to, to have your teachers and, and your peers pressing unbiblical things upon them. So, encourage them in the truth of God's word. Older to the younger, younger to the older. The role of the church is to build one another up in love, thinking of Ephesians 4. And uh, this is pertinent to all generations, no matter where you're at in the span of life. Uh, Emmaus has... Uh, a vision path, okay? So you as a church have come together to state some of the things that, that you as a church, we as a church are working towards, things reflected from Scripture. And I found two of the five things uh, that have been stated to be so pertinent to the message uh, of 1 Timothy 5. Two of the uh, five components of the vision path. And I want to share them, go over them very brief, briefly. First is all sharing their gifts for God's glory. Notice the word all. That's each and every one of you in the room, each and every one of you online, all sharing gifts for God's glory. This is an intergenerational call regardless of age. Each one of you is to live as a member of God's church in relationship to him and one another. And of course, each person's life, again, is valuable. So all sharing and living for God's glory. Second is reaching the next generation. Going back to the discussion about grandparents to grandchildren, it's, it's that and so much more. It's to reach the young people to make disciples of all nations, of all ages. Simply put, the general call is, is for those who are older to encourage the younger and the younger to encourage the older. Again, a lot of what's been said here relates to relationships in general. But you'll notice in the text as we continue forward that the text actually moves us to a very specific type of relationship. So let's pick back up at verse 4 as we think about the place and the role of widows in the church. 
Verse 4. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return for to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now she, who is a widow indeed, and who has been left alone, has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasures is dead even while she lives. Prescribe these things as well so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. A widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old. Having been the wife of one man, having a good, having a reputation for good works, and she has brought up children. If she has shown hospitality to stranger, strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted in those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to put younger widows on the list. For when they feel sensual desires in disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house, and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. For some have already turned aside to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has Dependent widows, she must assist them, and the church must not be burdened, so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. There's a lot, lot going on there. Now, obviously, there is a specific situation uh, about the legitimacy of uh, need concerning some of the widows in the church of Ephesus. But for our purposes, I want to focus on uh, the church's relationship towards widows by highlighting two facets of this relationship. First, let's look at the responsibility of those who are widows. And again, most of the text deals with widows, so it makes sense to start with the widows. The, again, there's a specific situation, uh, and it addresses women who've lost their husband, uh, but it certainly, I think, would apply to us today, to any men who've also lost their wives. How, uh, how much more challenging it must have been for these people, especially women of the day, of Paul's day, uh, without things such as life insurance, social security, or any kind of government assistance or welfare. Uh, really, when we look at the widows, it must have been very hard for them to live. And the church did indeed have a role to fill or bridge the gap to help these people. However, verse 7, I think, is the key. The call for widows and the widows among us is to remain above reproach. If you're still uh, of age to care for yourself, certainly do so. Uh, consider the help of family. There's, there's a temptation here that, that's addressed this temptation to self-indulgency, laziness, gossip, and more. And frankly, that applies to all of us, not just widows. There's even a temptation to the widow to marry 
for the wrong reasons. Is it wrong for a widow to marry? Of course not. That's not what Paul's saying. But there's a temptation to marry for the wrong reason. So verse 6 gives us a stern, gives the widow a stern warning. She who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. That should grab our attention. The call is simply this. For the widow to remain above reproach and to for only those who truly have need to receive need from the church. So then what is the responsibility of the church? The church's responsibility, it says in verse 3, is to honor widows. That, that's pretty simple. Honor those who are truly widows indeed. And as I mentioned before, again, there was no social security, no, no help for widows. The church had to step up. For us today, in many cases, we do need to step up, church. There are many widows among us. I know there's widows even within this church. Again, the loss of a loved one is can never be easy. Uh, Grief is a very real thing. Honor them. Care for them. Step into their need. James 1.27 says this, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Church, we have a responsibility to the widows and needy among us. And there are indeed widows and needy within Emmaus' community. So if you're looking for a specific way, maybe God is tugging on your heart in this regard. Uh, If you're looking for a specific way to serve, consider a couple things. First, uh, Emmaus actually has a visitation team. And there's a a group of people who who make, uh, make it their goal to go visit and and care for those who are on the visitation list, so shut-ins, people who are unable to make it to the church. Uh, I think I can say with confidence that there certainly is need, and the team would uh, welcome any any help, any any who would uh, have a desire to step in and and bridge the gap here. Uh, Another thing, maybe a little bit more generally speaking, uh, there's the say yes to service. So this is more general. There's all sorts of needs uh, that people have. Say yes to service is one way that you can uh, step up and bridge a gap. So there's, as always, a reminder to you that there's connection cards in front of you if you're being led this way. Um, I just think of the the blessing that it has been, at least for me in my role, to get to, uh, get to know some dear people at uh, Presbyterian Homes. Right down the road, we have Bible study on Thursdays, and some dear people who many of you know as uh, they've been longtime members of this church, uh, you might find that that it goes both ways, and that you too uh, would be blessed through these type of interactions. However, the church is something more than a social welfare organization. We need to not misunderstand the place and the role and the call of the church to care for the needy among us. Even Jesus himself acknowledged that we'll always have the poor among us. 
Many have taken this topic at hand, caring for the widow, caring for the orphan, and, and misconstrued it. Many have missed the mark when it comes to this conversation. You know what I mean? There's, you see, there's many organizations. We look around us, and, and the list goes on and on. United Way, Rotary Club, Lions Club. Uh, he, here's the Rotary mission statement, for example. Okay? Hear, hear, hear this clearly. They say, we provide service to others, promote integrity, and advance world understanding, goodwill, and peace through our fellowship of business professional and community leaders. Okay, this is just one organization. And I don't want you to misunderstand me here. I'm not saying you shouldn't be involved in something like Rotary, United Way, Lions Club, the list goes on and on. In fact, I think it's good for us as Christians to engage in such things. However, when thinking about the need around us, again, I don't want you to miss the mark in our role as the church. Don't miss the most important thing. You see, what separates us as the true church from other humanitarian organizations is that ultimately the solution for the soul is Jesus. He is the only one who can satisfy the deepest, most ultimate need that each and every one of us as human beings has. He's the only hope that transcends physical need He's the only hope for eternal life. You see, what the widow needs most isn't actually you. And it isn't actually me. What the widow needs most is Jesus. And Christ alone is the only one who can satisfy our need. Only Jesus gives us forgiveness, grace, life, relationship. Our relationships only mean something if they first stem from our relationship with him. You see, we have nothing else to boast in except in Christ alone. As such, we then go into the world, empowered and motivated by the gospel, to absolutely meet these needs. And I encourage you to do so. I hope that some here today are feeling the tug on their hearts to step up and step into relationship with others and the poor and the needy around us. So no matter who you are, regardless of age, know first and foremost the gospel is for you. And then, too, you are called to a life of service in his kingdom. The text, as we look back to the text, seems to take a little bit of a strange turn. We go from widows to elders, the Apostle Paul, led by the Spirit of God, shifts the attention to elders. So as we think about uh, church leadership in carrying out this mission, let's pick back up at verse 17. Verse 17 says this, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. 
I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. No longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some men are quite evident, going before them to judgment. For others, their sins follow after. Likewise also, deeds that are good are quite evident, and those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. So elders, rule well. Make that your ambition, church, as we think about stepping up and meeting the needs of others in our church and in our community. You know, as uh, we were going through this passage, we, we typically, each week as a staff, go through the sermon text and the person who's preaching just shares some thoughts and we share thoughts together as a staff and um, in going through this, I felt compelled to draw the staff's attention to, especially the first part here, uh, the double honor part for those who preach and teach. And uh, a little self-serving, I'll, I'll admit, but uh, the response was even better. It was quick response. Someone says, well, I don't know about that. I read something about muzzling an ox. I thought that was... Pretty good and, and fair. But see, we are called, whether formally as elders or not, we are called to lead and to rule well. And that starts with the home. And that starts in the word of God. You don't have to be in a formal position in the church to lead well. Think about all the parents and grandparents that are represented here, it starts in the home and with your family. Lead well. Point others to the word of God. You don't have to be up front like I am right now, preaching to an audience to share the word of God with someone else. I commend you to that. Dig in, cover to cover. Lead well. Work hard at sharing the word of God. With one another. To lead well is simply to point others and to, and to uh, uh, go to the foot of the cross with others. So encourage one another in true living. But there's also here a stern warning as we, as we come to a close. There's a stern warning for elders, especially those in the church. They need to maintain without bias truth. They need to not show partiality. You see, as a church, we certainly proclaim the gospel, but we don't close, we, we don't turn a blind eye to sin. Because the reality is all of us are sinful, but we can't, we can't sweep things under the rug either. We can't choose uh, to address truth with some and not others. We need to be consistent as we share this message of the law, guilt of sin, and the gospel, forgiveness of that sin. 
We need to be consistent as we lead both in the church and at home. So many things can be taken from this section concerning elders, but I want to commend each and every one of you to the gospel first and foremost, and also to a life of service in his kingdom. As we come to a close, I hope you see the value of relationships, the value of each and every person as someone created in God's image and as someone who God has sent his son to die for. Live this Christian life in full assurance that he's paid for your sins and go and love those around you, especially the poor and needy. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift of relationship with you, relationship with one another. Heavenly Father, I pray in this time as we go that you would be glorified, that you would have our hearts, and that you would open our eyes to those around us. Lord, I ask that you would bring people into our lives who need to hear uh, encouragement, who need to hear the gospel. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for your word. Thank you for relationship. Pray these things in Jesus' most holy and precious name. Amen.